Well, this morning I have a quiz for you about people who were pioneers. Now, these are people who made new discoveries, who explored places where nobody had ever been, who did things that no one had ever done before, and we'll see how you do compared to first service. All right? Are you ready? Here's the first. This French chemist and microbiologist was the first scientist to support the germ theory of disease. Who's that? Oh, wow. See, first service, I had to give them this clue. He invented the process of pasteurization. See, I didn't have to give you that clue. All right, Louis Pasteur, very good. Here's question number two. There's five of them. Here's number two. In 1928, this person was the first woman to cross the Atlantic Ocean in an airplane, a trip that took more than 20 hours. Okay, good. Amelia Earhart, number three. This man was an American entrepreneur, marketer, and inventor who was the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Apple Incorporated. Steve Jobs, yes. Number four, this woman was an American physicist and astronaut. She joined NASA in 1978 and became the first American woman in space. Well, you guys are doing really well. Good, okay, Sally Wright. Here's the last one, last one. This man was dedicated to persecuting the early disciples of Jesus, but following a dramatic conversion, became a follower of Jesus himself. He established several... You don't need the rest of the clues? Okay, yes, it is the Apostle Paul. And by the way, he established several churches and wrote nearly half of the books found in the New Testament. Now, it's interesting because we still have so many of those books, those letters that Paul wrote. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been working our way through one of those letters called Philippians. And this is such a timely letter for us because here's the theme of Philippians. And this morning, I don't have any thing to show you on screen, so we're going to work together using our Bibles and our Bible study outlines. But if you look at your outline, here's the theme of Philippians. The book of Philippians teaches us the kind of perspective a follower of Christ must have in order to experience joy and peace in a world filled with what? Filled with what? You can look. Oh, there's a blank. Trouble. Trouble. We've been talking about this the last couple of weeks, that Philippians teaches us how we can live with joy and peace in a world filled with trouble. How many of you had any trouble in your life this past week? How many of you think you're going to have any trouble this coming week? Yeah, trouble's everywhere, and if you haven't had trouble, it's going to catch up to you. So how do you live with joy and peace in a world filled with trouble? Well, we're going to take a look at this first chapter of Philippians. We're going to look at verses 12 through 26. If you've got your Bible with you, and I encourage you to bring a Bible on Sunday morning, um, you can turn to that right now. If you've got one of the brown Bibles that we provided, it's on page 951. But I wanted to give you a kind of a Reader's Digest version of this passage of Scripture, and it's there on your outline. It says this, Paul was a pioneer chosen by God to advance the gospel, which is the good news about Jesus. Paul rejoiced as he saw God's purpose being accomplished in him and through him. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, it goes on to say this. We too can rejoice because just as God used what happened to Paul to accomplish his purpose, God can use what happens in our lives to accomplish his purpose too. And we're going to look at that this morning. So let's take a look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. And this is what Paul writes. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel, and that's a key phrase, advance the gospel. As a result, 
it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everybody else that I am in chains for Christ. Now here's the first thing that I want you to see, and this is on your outline. God used Paul's chains, and God can use ours too. Now what are these chains that Paul's referring to? Well, Paul is a prisoner, and he has this short chain on his wrist, and he's chained to a Roman soldier, so there's no possibility of escape. And of course, the question is, well, why is he in chains to begin with? Well, a number of years prior to this, Paul was in the temple in Jerusalem. And he was illegally arrested because the Jews thought that he was desecrating the temple by allowing Gentiles to come in. Non-Jewish people were coming into the temple. So Paul spent two years in prison in a city called Caesarea. And then Paul finally decided to do this. He decided to appeal his case to Caesar. Now that was a right of every Roman citizen. But to do this, Paul had to travel all the way to Rome. So that's what's happened. He's in Rome. He's in prison and he's writing this letter to the Philippian believers. But here's what we need to remember. Paul had always dreamed of going to Rome. He dreamed of going there to preach because Rome was the epicenter of the empire. Just think about all the influence he could have if he had a pulpit in Rome. But here's what's happened. His dream has been shattered. Because the Apostle Paul is going to Rome not as a preacher, but as a prisoner. Now let me ask you this. Have you ever had a dream that was shattered, that didn't work out the way you thought it would? How did you react? Were you sad? Were you disappointed? Were you disillusioned? How does Paul react when his dream of going to Rome as a preacher doesn't work out? He rejoices. And he actually tells us why. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, going to Rome not as a preacher but as a prisoner, has actually served, and here's the key phrase, to advance the gospel. To advance the gospel. And that word advance is really important. In the original language, that word to advance was used of an army that was moving forward into enemy-held territory and they would just do anything that was necessary to advance, to keep making progress. I was looking at these verses during the week and thinking about my dad who was in the military during World War II. He was in the Navy and a special unit called the CBs, stands for Construction Battalion. I understand some other people here were also part of that, that elite group. And what they would do is they would actually build roads and airstrips and piers, whatever was necessary for the army to advance into enemy-held territory. Now, Paul knew that by going to Rome, he was literally advancing into enemy-held territory, and he was more than a prisoner. He was a pioneer. He was paving the way for others to follow. And Paul knew that because of his efforts, more and more people were going to have the opportunity to hear this life-changing message about Jesus. And he says this, this is verse 13, as a result of being a prisoner and a pioneer, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now let me ask you this, have you ever felt like you were in chains? That you were in circumstances that were limiting to you maybe there's been a time in your life and maybe this is <clears throat> the situation right now where you feel chained to your job because there's really not much possibility for advancement maybe you're just tired of doing the same thing over and over again maybe there's conflict with your boss or your co-workers and you think man I just wish that I could have another job because this is a job that I feel chained to or maybe this is 
an experience that some of you can relate to. Sometimes, as I talk with people who come to me with marriage issues, I hear what's being said between the lines. I feel chained to my spouse. Yeah, when we first got married, I mean, it was, it was great. I really enjoyed them, and it was fulfilling, and it was fun, and we had a great life. But you know what? Things have changed over time, and we're just kind of going through the motions. We're not really soulmates. We're roommates. And, and maybe this morning, this is your situation. You're a believer, a follower of Jesus, and your spouse is not. And that's a source of conflict in your relationship. And you know that you really shouldn't leave them. You, you want to stay committed, but you feel chained to that person. Or how about this? Maybe you've got a, a health issue. Maybe it's a chronic condition. Maybe it's an acute illness, and it limits you in some way. And you're uncertain about the future. You don't know if you're going to get better or you're going to get worse, and you feel chained to that medical situation. This story about Paul's life reminds us that whatever our limitations might be, whatever our chains might be, God can use those very circumstances to accomplish his purpose of advancing the gospel. Now look at the statement on your outline. God used Paul's chains to influence unbelievers. Some specific ways that God used those chains. Paul was going to influence quite a few unbelievers. And I think about this. Paul is is going to have the opportunity to talk to these Roman soldiers because he's chained to them 24 hours a day. And they have different shifts that they work. And so over the course of time, Paul has, I don't know how many conversations with individual soldiers. And these are not just regular soldiers. These are elite soldiers. These are the bodyguards for the emperor. And these are men that often would go into places of great leadership within the Roman Empire, great influence, and every single day, Paul has an opportunity to talk to them. And I think about this, the conversations that might have taken place, because, you know, it's quite natural if you're chained to somebody to say, hey, buddy, why are you in chains? And for Paul, it was a chance to tell his story, the story about how God had turned his life completely around. And I can imagine the Apostle Paul talking to these soldiers about the bad news and saying, look, man, I was headed in the wrong direction. I thought I was doing God a favor, but I was really persecuting Jesus Christ, and I actually met him on the way to Damascus. And, and now I understand that, that my heart is just a disaster. In fact, we're, we're born into the world with a heart that pulls us away from God, away from his purpose, away from his plan. And I can imagine these soldiers going, hmm, sounds kind of interesting. And, and Paul would go on to tell them, look, here's the deal. This, this God that I worship, because I'm a Jew, th this God is holy, and because it's holy, our sin separates us from him. And because this God is just, he has to punish every sin we've ever committed. And that just punishment is to die and to be separated from God forever. And I can imagine those, those soldiers going, really? That sounds pretty serious. And Paul would go on to tell them, and you know what? There's nothing you can do to change that. Nothing I can do to change that. We're in a hopeless and helpless situation. And as Paul talked about the bad news, I can imagine the joy in his heart when he knew that he was going to be sharing the good news. Telling these soldiers that, you know what? We're in the same situation. We're condemned before a holy God, but this God who made us loves us and he sent this person, Jesus, and, and maybe you've heard about Jesus. Maybe you've heard these rumors about this, this itinerant preacher, this guy that was a carpenter and left his business and began telling people about the kingdom of God because some of the people had heard these stories about Jesus. And Paul could say, you know what? At first, I didn't believe the stories were true. But then an amazing thing happened. Jesus appeared to me 
and I know that he's alive. And I could imagine Paul telling them the story of how Jesus was born as a baby in Bethlehem and how he, he grew up and he started to, to tell people about how their relationship with God could be restored and, and how Jesus lived a perfect life and how he was arrested and beaten and crucified. And think about these, these soldiers hearing that story because they very likely had been involved in those exact situations. Beating people, crucifying people. In fact, I, I can imagine Paul saying, and the soldiers that were killing Jesus heard Jesus say this, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. You can imagine how their attention was riveted on every word Paul said because this was good news, that we could be forgiven, that on the cross God is willing to deal with our sin by placing our sin on Jesus. And when Paul said, listen, that's not the end of the story because when they killed him, he came back to life, and I know it's true because I've seen him with my own two eyes. And I'm sure Paul would give these soldiers an opportunity, hey, listen, listen, you can have an entirely different kind of life by choosing today to follow Jesus. Now, what's interesting is that those chains that God allowed to come into Paul's life gave him the opportunity to tell the story of Jesus. And church, in the same way, God can use our chains to influence unbelievers. But realize this, this is on your outline. <clears throat> God used Paul's chains to influence believers as well. To influence believers as well. If you have your Bibles open, look at the next verse. <clears throat> it's verse 14. And because of my chains, Paul says, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, here's what's interesting to note. We know that it's possible for God to use the chains in our lives, the adversity that we go through. But how God uses them is largely dependent on our perspective, how we see these, these chains that can come into our life. Because think about this. What if Paul, chained to these Roman soldiers, was saying stuff like this? Man, I can't believe I ended up here in Rome as a prisoner. I dreamed about, about being a preacher here. Man, this, this stinks. I mean, why does bad stuff always happen to me? Life is so unfair. How would that have affected those Roman soldiers? How would that kind of attitude affected these other believers who knew about Paul's circumstances? But Paul didn't react that way, and here's why. He was wearing his gospel glasses because Paul looked at his chains and he goes, oh, wait a minute, God can use these chains to advance the gospel. Jesus still loves me and God's still in charge. Now, let me, let me do this. <clears throat> Let me give you three practical ways that you can <clears throat> respond to the chains that God allows to come into your life. And this is from the example of Paul. And you can write these down because they're not on your outline. One is pray. You can pray. And life is hard when you're going through tough stuff. Does Paul pray? All the time. He prays not just for himself but for other people. And see, if you're going through a situation at work and you feel chained to your job, can you pray? Of course, you can pray for your boss. You can pray for coworkers. You can pray for yourself. If you're in a situation in your marriage where things are really difficult, pray for your spouse. Pray for God to change their heart, to change your heart. Pray for God to enable you to accomplish his purpose for your marriage together. Or maybe this morning you're going through an illness. You can pray. Pray for your doctor. You can pray for the nurses that might be caring for you. Pray for other people that God brings into your path. So the first thing we can do is pray. Here's the second thing, write, W-R-I-T-E, write. Does Paul write anything while he's in prison? 
Yeah, it's the letter that we have, this letter to the Philippians to encourage other believers. Can you write anything to encourage other people when you're going through a tough time? Can you? Well, of course you can. You can write a, a Hallmark card, right? You can write a letter if you go old school. What about this? Can you write a text message or an email or post something online? Listen, when life is hard, there is an opportunity to advance the gospel and to witness to God's faithfulness because the things that we say can encourage or discourage other people. And here's the third thing. You can pray, you can write, and number three, you can speak. Because Paul talks to these soldiers. And you can talk to the people that God's placed in your life. I know somebody here in our church family that was going through a really difficult medical situation, and they saw that as an opportunity to talk to people because they had all these doctor's appointments, and there was time in the waiting room, and there were medical people that were involved in their, in their treatment and care. It was an opportunity to point people to Jesus and to talk about their faith. So God can use those chains in remarkable ways if we will put on what? Our gospel glasses. Now here's another thing that God can use to accomplish his purpose. Number two, God used Paul's critics and God can use ours too. God used Paul's chains and he used Paul's critics. Listen to this story. As a secret shopper for a large department store, my sister made purchases at various locations and then reported back to supervisors on the clerk's performance. After a few weeks, I asked her if she was enjoying her new job. I love it, she replied. I'm getting paid for doing two of my favorite things in the world, shopping and criticizing people. How do you respond when people criticize you? How does Paul respond to his critics? Well, take a look at verse 15. He says this, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. So what's going on here? Well, there are other preachers who don't like Paul. They don't see Paul as a colleague. They see him as a competitor. And so there's this rivalry. There's a jealousy. There's an ambition. They're trying to get as many people as they can to follow them, not just to follow Jesus. So how does Paul respond to this from his prison cell? Well, the next verse says this, but what does it matter, Paul says? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. And that's a word that we see over and over again in this letter. Paul says, I rejoice. Now, why does Paul rejoice? And I think there are two reasons, and these are on your outline. Number one, God used Paul's critics to advance the gospel. Whether their motives were good or bad, they were hearing the story of Jesus through these teachers. And Paul says, that's good, because that's advancing the gospel. But secondly, here's another reason that I believe Paul was rejoicing, because God used Paul's critics to develop spiritual maturity in Paul. This adversity in his life was making him more like Jesus. Now, when people criticize you, who do you typically focus on? Yeah, yourself. Man, this is terrible. I can't believe they said that about me. This, this is awful. Now, what is Paul focusing on? Is he focused on himself and how this is affecting him? No, he's focused on the mission that Christ has given him. Now, church, I think this is really important. When we deal with conflict, whether it's in our family 
or in our church family, our typical response is to focus where? On ourselves, how it's affecting us. But when you're really mature spiritually and emotionally, your focus is not on you. Your focus is on Jesus. Your focus is on what Jesus wants to accomplish through that conflict. Because here's the deal. If we handle conflict the way that God tells us to, if we really can be honest and gracious and truthful and forgiving and loving, our relationships can actually become stronger. And here's what I want you to think about. Whenever we face conflict, it is an opportunity to do it God's way and to show the world that what Jesus says is actually true. Because Jesus said this, the world will know that I am the person I claim to be because of your what for one another? Your love. And so when there's conflict and you're a spiritually mature person, you're not just thinking about how it affects you, you're thinking about how it affects the mission of Jesus Christ. Is, is my response here going to hinder the gospel or is it going to advance the gospel? Which is a really important question to ask. Now, here's the third thing I want you to see this morning, that God used Paul's crisis. He uses chains, he uses critics, and he uses Paul's crisis and God can use our crisis too. Now, why is Paul in a crisis? Well, because this is literally a situation of life or death. One of two things is going to happen. Paul is going to be executed or he's going to be released. And he doesn't know what's going to happen. And he says this. He says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers, talking to the Philippians, your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what's happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now, how does Paul know that? Well, if he dies, he's going to be delivered, isn't he? He's going to go to heaven and be with Jesus. If he is acquitted, he's going to continue to serve here on earth. One way or the other, he's going to be delivered. But there are two things that Paul says are going to help him through this crisis. And the first is this. This is on your outline. In a crisis, we need the prayers of others. When your life is really hard, when problems pour in, you need the prayers of other people. There was a, a five-year-old boy who was in church with his mother one Sunday, and he was really misbehaving, and after several warnings, his mom picked him up, got out of her seat, and headed for the back of the church. And of course, everybody was watching to see what was going to happen, and the mom wanted to uh, keep from making a scene. And just before she reached the exit with everybody watching, the little boy shouted, Hey, everybody, please pray for me. The Apostle Paul was always asking people to pray for him. And this is interesting. Two things that he often requested, wisdom and courage. The wisdom to know what God wanted him to do and the courage to actually do it. And friends, that's what we can pray for each other when life is hard, that God would give us wisdom and courage. And let me ask you this. Are you reluctant to ask other people to pray for you? Think about that. You know, sometimes when I, when I talk to people, it's just kind of a natural thing. I say, well, how can I pray for you? And sometimes people just are very candid and they tell me specifically how I can pray for them. But I often get this response, oh, I'm, I'm good. Everything's fine. Um, nothing really to pray about right now. And sometimes I wonder myself, is, is it because life is really that good for them or that easy for them right now? Or is it because they just think, you know, God, I got this. If it really gets bad, I'll let you know. Or, or is it this? They just don't want to let somebody in. They don't want to be honest about their struggles and the pain in their heart. And church, I just want to encourage you 
do not be reluctant to ask other people to pray for you. This is a praying church, and I'm really thankful for that. There are opportunities for, for you to write down prayer requests. Take advantage of that opportunity. You can go to the cross and have people pray with you personally after the service. And listen, the flip side is you can pray for other people. You can join our prayer chain, our prayer team. And I want to say this, as your pastor, I need you to pray for me. I really do. And I'm so thankful because many of you tell me, hey, Pastor Dudley, we're praying for you. Some of you tell me this, which is a huge encouragement. Pastor Dudley, our kids are praying for you. Now, here's the deal. If you want to know how to pray for me, I need wisdom and I need courage. I need wisdom to lead and to serve our church family well. I need wisdom to lead and to serve my family well. And church, please pray for courage, that God will give me the courage to follow Jesus and the courage to never compromise the gospel that he's called us to advance. And in advance, thank you for your prayers. Now, here's another thing that Paul um, relies on in this crisis. He says this. Well, let me just give you the fill-in. It says, in a crisis, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit of God when there's a crisis. And Paul says this, I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that what's happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I remember a number of years ago, I really felt like God was calling me to be a pastor and I needed to go back to school and finish my undergraduate degree and I was going to Florida Atlantic University. Um, I am a fighting owl. And I remember going back to school and and I had to go through this um, academic advisement and so I made an appointment with this professor. He was a biology professor. And so I'm sitting in the waiting room and I hear this yelling and this screaming behind a closed door. I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? And the door opens and this student just storms out. And I'm thinking, whoa. So I walk in the door, and this professor looks at me. I've never met this guy before. And he says, you're not one of those blankety-blank Christians, are you? And I just thought, wow, Lord, <laughs> this is really quite an opportunity. And, and instead of just answering him, it's, you know, what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus often responded by asking questions. When he was asked a question, so I thought, well, I'll try that. So I said to this professor that I hadn't met, I said, well, let me ask you this before I answer your question. What is your definition of a Christian? And without blinking an eye, he said this, a Christian is a person who has the spirit of Jesus Christ living inside them. And I was just amazed because that's spot on. That's exactly what the scripture would say. And I said, you know what? According to your definition, sir, I am definitely a Christian because I know that Jesus Christ by his spirit lives in me. And church, this is a remarkable mystery of the Christian faith. The Bible says that there's a God who's one God, but he exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, listen, when you come and follow me, you'll never face life alone because I'm gonna live in you through my Holy Spirit. And when life is hard, when there's a crisis, we need to remember that. The Apostle Paul's in prison. Where does he find strength? Where does he find encouragement? Where does he find joy or peace? By remembering that he is not alone. You're a Christian this morning, no matter what you go through, you're not alone because Jesus lives in you through his spirit. Now, there's one more thing we need in a crisis, and this is on your outline. In a crisis, we need courage. We need courage to honor Christ. And this is what Paul says in verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. And he's talking about when he appears before Caesar because that's where he's eventually headed. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient 
courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. And then he says this. This is such a dramatic statement. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I was looking at this passage in another translation and we're where Paul says, I want Christ to be exalted. Another translation says, I want Christ to be magnified. Now, how many of you have ever used a magnifying glass? All right. Um, I, when I was a kid, I liked to set things on fire with a magnifying glass. But it also can be used to make things look bigger. Have you ever used something to magnify things and make them look bigger? I'm doing it right now with my glasses. What Paul's saying is, when, when people look at me, when they look at my circumstances, when they look at how I'm responding, I want Jesus to look bigger. I want Jesus to be clearly seen in me. In a couple of months, in September, my wife Chris and I are planning to go to Colombia, South America once again to serve on a team with Voice of the Martyrs. And many of you know that we've been making these trips for, for some time now. And I'm really thankful that Chris is able to go with me at this point because she is able to see the things and hear the stories firsthand. And we have heard so many stories of remarkable courage. And many of you know the persecution that these Christians have endured, how hundreds of them have been killed. Um, church leaders, pastors by the communist guerrillas. Many of the moms and dads in these conferences have had their kids abducted by the guerrillas. Some of them have been killed. There are stories of children being killed in church services. And I think to myself, you know, how do, they, how do they keep going? I mean, how do they continue to serve Jesus and preach the gospel in the face of that kind of suffering and intimidation? And there's one word, courage. And that courage comes from Christ. And, and church, I, I know this is not something that we often think about here in the U.S., but around the world today, our brothers and sisters are facing unbelievable persecution. And we need to pray that God will give them courage to represent Jesus well. But we need to pray that for ourselves because we face situations throughout our lives, throughout our week, where we have the opportunity to open our mouths and to point people to Jesus or to be silent. And we need courage, just like they need courage, to represent Jesus well. And I think about Paul because, now here's Paul, if he gets released from prison, he's going to serve Jesus in the world, right? And if he gets executed, he's gonna serve Jesus in heaven. And so he says, for me to die, it's okay. Because either way, I'm gonna be serving my Lord and Savior. And, and Paul was a man who knew this. He knew who he was living for, and he knew what he was living for. He was living for Jesus, and he was living to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this morning as I close the message, I just want to ask you this question. Who are you living for? Really? And what are you living for? And think about this. Paul's in a prison cell. He doesn't know whether he's got one more day to live or one more year or one more week. He has no idea. And that is true for each one of us. We do not know how many days God is going to give us. And that's why it's critically important to know who you're living for and what you're living for. And think about that, that statement that Paul makes here. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
How would you complete this statement? For me to live is. Some people might say, for me to live is to have a really good retirement plan. For me to live is to be really comfortable. For me to live is to have a good family. For me to live is to make a lot of money. For me to live is for people to think well of me. For me to live is... Maybe some people would just draw a blank because they really don't know what they're living for. They just take life as it comes. And church, my prayer for each one of us is this, that we will know who we are living for. And we know the right answer. We should be living for Jesus. But I pray that more and more that would be the center of our lives, that we would live for Jesus. And when it comes to what are you living for, that we would live to advance this gospel, this good news about Jesus. Paul says in Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation, for the complete rescue of everyone who believes. And church, my prayer is this, that we will see ourselves as pioneers. When you go into your office, when you go into your neighborhood, when you go into school, wherever you go, that you're a pioneer, a person advancing the gospel, this good news of Jesus that tells us this, that because of Jesus, our past is entirely settled. Because of Jesus, our future is assured. And because of Jesus, we can face anything that happens in our life today. We can actually have joy and peace in a world filled with trouble. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for preserving this letter that Paul wrote such a long time ago because it speaks to us today, God. It really does. And I pray, Lord, that as we think about our chains and our critics and the crisis that may be taking place right now, that you give us the ability to look at our lives and ourselves with gospel glasses. God, to remember that you love us and that you're in charge of everything that happens in our life. And Lord, today I pray for the person who maybe for the first time today has understood the bad news and the good news understood they need a new life. And I pray, Lord, that right now, as you would, would speak to them through your spirit, that they would just say this to you, God, I need you. God, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I believe Jesus died for my sin and rose from the dead. And I want to follow him because I need a new life. And God, for those of us who have made that choice, I pray this, Lord, as we sing this last song and as, as people in our church family listen to it, Lord, I pray that you would remind us of the power of the gospel, that we would remember that we are people who have been rescued by your love and your grace. And Lord, that because of that, we would live a life of gratitude and joy, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. This, this last